Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at whether diversified multi-asset portfolios are still the way forward, take stock on the ongoing US debt ceiling debate, while navigating a surge in interest rates, with Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, and Jean-Paul Yeagers, Head of Asset Allocation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Words on the Street. Will the looming debt ceiling in the US rattle markets? Are central banks finally done with lifted interest rates? Is a diversified multi-asset portfolio still the way forward? To help me unpack this and a little more, I am joined today by JP Jagers, Head of Asset Allocation. Hello. Hello, Sarah. So, JP, so far, year-to-date financial markets are up. But in that journey, we've seen some serious bouts of volatility. And on a very high level, maybe one could say that most financial markets have been fairly range bound with no real strong trends. Do you agree with that? Yes, I think that's that's a fair reflection. As you mentioned, that there has been some serious bouts of volatility. But indeed, it feels like capital markets have been rather range bound. We're in a world where investors are still assessing the likelihoods of a potential recession and still trading that off versus the need of central banks to successfully tame inflation, where there is yeah, little evidence, strong evidence either way at the moment. We see inflation has peaked. It's drifting lower from very elevated levels. But is this enough comfort that we pass the inflation speed bump? Uh, equally, we see that central banks have put up interest rates, which is slowing down and weighing on economic activity. And we also see some cracks appearing in some financial institutions in some corners of the world, like U.S. mid-sized banks or Swiss banks. Is that enough comfort that it has taken some heat out of the labor market while still averting a recession? And there are still a lot of question marks, and I think it's not an easy juncture for investors at this moment to have too strong views on the direction of, uh, of financial markets at the moment. Okay, interesting, JP. It's not going to stop me asking you the questions, though. Markets are anticipating that interest rates set by central banks are kind of peaking at the moment. In last week's podcast, Francis alluded to the same kind of expectation. What's your view? Well, uh, for financial markets, uh, we, we can see what they price in. So that's actually saying, well, where we have prices that reflect future expectations. Uh, we see that there is a, a large expectation in, in the market that the Fed will start reversing some of its interest rates hikes and actually start lowering interest rates. And, and that the expectation currently embedded in financial markets is that the Fed would lower policy interest rates by about 1% by the end of this year. If you look a little bit further, it gets almost to 2% next year. So starting from just over 5% to 4 and a bit by the end of this year. That's a little bit different if you, for example, look closer to home. So if you look to the ECB or the Bank of England, we see a slightly different picture. So here we see that uh, both are still expected to continue with uh, increasing their policy interest rates. So the Bank of England getting somewhere close to 5% uh, by the summer. So we're now at 4.5%. And the ECB from just over 3% getting somewhere closer to 3.6%. These expectations that the Federal Reserve will start lowering interest rates, uh, again, I think it might be a little bit premature, as they will likely first pause and assess the developments in inflation. Remember, in the past, how central banks reversed course as soon as economic activity slipped, 
and that's economists would often call that counter-cyclical monetary policy, is a very different backdrop than where we are today. Uh, the, the world looks slightly different. So now we are in a situation where central banks do have to tame inflation sufficiently, and to some extent that's a little bit irrespective of how economic activity unfolds. So potentially, I think this is quite a different situation and possibly investors have gotten used to the counter-cyclical commodity policy as central bank have set in recent decades. So yeah, we see some expectations for interest rate cuts in the US for later this year. But this, yeah, I said, it's not a done deal. It largely reflects current expectations. And we all know that, yeah, there is very limited direct control on inflation. So probably what will happen to inflation in the next few months might give some more direction and for central banks and for investors. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's just such a hard question to answer, even if you look at the markets, you don't know what's priced in and what's not. So moving on, some of the headlines that we've been seeing recently have been about the ongoing debt ceiling debate in the US. It's a little bit complicated. So maybe you can explain a little bit more around what exactly that is and what are the implications or potential consequences. Yeah, that's a good way you, you put it. It's a little bit complicated. That's indeed the case. I'll try to keep it very brief here. So in the US, we see that the Treasury indicated that it's expected to run out of cash balances by early June. Uh, so now that's, as you said, the debt ceiling debate ongoing. We've been here many, many times before, although with varying experiences. Uh, as expected, both sides digging in their heels. This does have the potential to rattle markets. And we're already seeing a little bit of the impact of this brinkmanship as investors are more reluctant to hold government debt that matures in early June, for example. If you look back and in 2011, it actually resulted in a downgrade of US government debt, so from AAA to AA plus by one of the major credit agencies due to the discussions on the debt ceiling. And we see in markets that, for example, if you look at CDS, so that's a credit default swap, that's more or less like an insurance premium you pay over a notional value to insure against a sovereign default. That for the US, this has been creeping up steadily this year. Technically, if they don't avert hitting the self-imposed debt ceiling, it triggers what they call a sequestration. So budget sequestration is a provision of US law that causes an across-the-board reduction in certain kinds of spending, including the federal budget. Sequestration was included as part of the Budget Control Act in 2011 which resolves the debt ceiling back then. But the bill is set up a congressional debt reduction committee that included a sequestration as a disincentive to be activated only if Congress did not pass deficit reduction legislation. However, the committee did not come to an agreement on the plan and activated sequestration, but was very careful back then to continue with interest payments on its government debt. The sequestration was considered part of the fiscal cliff, but the American Taxpayer Relief Act of 2012 delayed it so then in 2013, we did see that a budget sequestration was kicked off, postponing some payments by a couple of months. Uh, but it is important to note that the previous context is very, very different than where we are today. Back then, there was much more focus on austerity and fiscal discipline. Most likely is expected to happen is that there is a last minute agreement with some promises on the fiscal side. Uh, but as said, I think that the context is very different to previous instances, uh, but something that will yeah, likely continue to hit the headlines in the next few days or weeks. Yeah, it's a great words as well. That's how do you say it? Sequestration. 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 I'm going to try and slip that into a bit of conversation. Thank <laughs> you. But thank you very much for explaining it as well. Maybe switching from the current news headlines and trying to unpick a little bit around what might happen with a slightly longer time horizon. 
diversification. A lot has been written on the so-called 60-40 portfolio, which is the portfolio consisted of stocks and bonds, and how that portfolio actually struggled in recent years, a time when it was most needed to spread out your investment risk. What do you say to clients when asked about this subject? Yeah, that's a great question. So indeed, the 60-40 portfolio, as you mentioned, so stocks and bonds, the combination. If we look to what has happened in recent years here, then we've seen that it had a very significant drawdown. And it's quite unusual for a lot of different assets to go down in price all at the same time. So we did see that bonds or short maturity bonds, uh, equities, credits, they all uh, declined in, in price. And we'd have to go back to the 70s to get to some similar magnitudes of, of, of historic drawdowns. So it, it's highly unusual because normally assets have different sensitivities. For example, when you get a recession or a spurt of economic growth, then bonds and stocks have slightly different sensitivities. This, very often you have, I always call them shock absorbers in your, in your portfolio. Uh, and you also try to avoid to have very large sensitivities for when something happens that's very isolated, like a default or downgrades, as we've seen recently in news. So likely what we have seen is that in recent decades, a, a lot of assets have been conditioned on zero interest rates. So not too long ago, we were in a situation where interest rates were close to zero or even negative, and inflation was extremely low, and that creeped in asset prices. Now, with the spurt of uh, the, the surge in inflation and central banks putting up interest rates, we see that a lot of assets responded with declining in value. Does that mean we should give up on diversification? I don't think so. So remember, in the long run, there is still a great benefit of spreading your investment risk across different assets. And then it's also important to think of how you build your portfolio. I referred earlier to having shock absorbers in the portfolio, but also clearly looking at what for additional assets would really complement a portfolio. So if you add more of the same or more similar assets and combine them, you do not really get the full benefit of your portfolio diversification. So look for truly different exposures, and that requires a good deal of analysis. Maybe JP, to follow on from that, what do you think are the kind of the core principles for such a process that you and the team operate here in Barclays? Can give us a bit more insight? Um, that's a good one. So we're here at Barclays, I'll, I'll probably mention four things. So one of it is diversification is the core in the investment philosophy. So spend a lot of time on thinking how to put different assets together. We know very little about the future with a lot of confidence. So the best is to think about how you, you manage that risk. And yeah, again, reminding everyone with the, sh the shock absorbers in your portfolio. The second one is probably humility. We know very little about the future with a lot of precision, in essence, more than the market currently expects in, in, in aggregate. So prepare for many different outcomes and futures. You've seen in recent years, as a good reminder, that a lot of things were happening that were not very well anticipated. We had a pandemic, we had a surge in inflation, just as, as, as two examples. So if you build a portfolio that you, that you hold for a little bit longer, it's important to create a portfolio that can withstand many different future outcomes. The third one is probably look beyond volatility. In this industry, we see there is a lot of questions on what's risk, how to measure risk, and people then often refer to volatility. Well, volatility means the variation from one point to the other point, so month to month. For example, if prices go up with our volatility, it's not necessarily a problem. As prices go down with volatility, suddenly it is a problem. So it's a very different experience. So it's more looking at upside risk versus downside risk, for example. And the fourth one is process focused. Make sure you have a plan. Uh, make, make sure you have a plan and not rejig your portfolio 
too frequently based on emotions and observations or news headlines. Okay, interesting. It sounds like useful and rational advice. So maybe my next question then is, is it not applied en masse by all investors? It seems pretty straightforward. Or is there a trap or a trick that triggers emotions? Yeah, as you said, it seems very straightforward. It's not always the case. As, as yeah, <laughs> in, Indeed, our behavioral finance experts would probably remind us on numerous occasions that there are a lot of things that throw some spanners in the works. So, for example, we got a home bias, so that you buy something you know or feels more familiar. you got loss aversion, so being more uncomfortable with losses compared to similar sized gains. Limited attention span, overconfidence, just to name a few. This provides for a cocktail, which is not always very easy to fight as, as, as human beings. And especially in the periods which you referred to earlier, if you get those bouts of volatility, as we've seen earlier in the year, it's uh, yeah, for that reason, it's, it's one of the reasons we focus so much on process and discipline. Okay, so maybe not as straightforward as easy as it might look on face value. Thank you, JP. But I guess lots to look out for. And as mentioned, building the portfolio of a long-term mindset and spreading your investment risk across a range of truly distant assets is probably the best for long-term investors. Yes, yes. And it, it might sound quite boring, but it, how you decide on which assets to combine in a portfolio is actually the most important decision in your portfolio, as we know that your strategic asset allocation will be the dominant driver over longer periods of your returns. Uh, diversification is a core principle. Yeah, look how to combine different assets that have truly different sensitivities. I think the recent experience in recent years clearly demonstrate that you need to prepare for many different outcomes. And yeah, sometimes I remind people that calling the winners and losers consistently over time well ahead of the investment industry is very unrealistic. Prices adjust very quickly and it's probably best sometimes to be patient and spread your risk across different assets. Yeah, that's good advice. I've probably went there as well with JP. Be patient and think about the longer term and diversification. Nice to see how everything comes together. Thank you, JP, for joining us today. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another edition of Word on the Street. I look forward to speaking to you all again soon. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.